I want to invite you this morning to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we are focused on this morning. For those of you that are visitors, your first time guests, we are in week number two of a series we started last Sunday titled Creature of Habits, in which what we are doing is basically exploring God's blueprint for how you and I experience a transformative shift from a life that is dominated by sinful, selfish desires and appetites to a life that demonstrates the presence, power, and influence of Christ. In this new year, I believe that God's desire is to take us deeper, to take us further, to take us to places we've never been to before in our walk with Him. And it's not to be simply for the sake of sensation or to be for the sake of just being simply dramatic. God's desire is that His children grow. God's desire is that His children grow in maturity in our faith. In week number one, we learned that Scripture's answer to how we overcome sinful, self-serving habits is to apply. Everybody say apply. Apply Apply ourselves daily to the practices that honor Christ. The ability to break those habits that are focused on self, that are focused on satisfying or fulfilling or indulging in our sinful, selfish, self-centered appetites and desires The way we break those is by embracing habits or practices that honor Christ. And in this year, God's desire is that he would take us through a process where at the end of this year, by his grace, we can look back at the beginning of the year and we can be able to say, God, throughout 2023, I have grown. Throughout 2023, you have broken habits in my life that were not uh, in keeping with your will for me and were not helping me to grow in my walk with you. That in 2023, you broke habits and not simply breaking habits, but in 2023, you developed new habits. You you develop Christ-honoring habits in your life. The way we overcome the attraction of giving into our sinful, selfish appetites and desires is by prioritizing God's glory over our own pleasure. That's the constant battle, friends, that you and I are engaging every single day. It is whether we're going to do what God wants or we're going to do what we want. And there is not a one here this morning who is excluded from this struggle. Not a one of us can claim, PJ, I never have to struggle with my flesh. I never have to deal with my flesh wanting to have its way. Every one of us deal with that daily struggle to make a decision to either give into our flesh or to give into God's will for our lives. I want to remind you of what 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, and I think Paul did this because there were probably good, some of you who are going to say, well, Paul, you only said that we're to do this when it comes to eating and drinking and nothing else. So Paul had to add that phrase, or oh, whatever you do. And that phrase covers everything. So anything you can imagine, anything you can presume that you, maybe the flesh is hoping that it can find a way out of, of following God's instructions. Paul says, whatever you do, do all things. Everybody say all things. Paul says we are to do all things for the glory of God. Everything about us, everything about how we live, the choices we make, it must be in line with the glory and purpose of God for our lives. Of course, this isn't something that happens simply because we try harder. It isn't something that happens because we exercise a greater willpower. Being able to live for glory for the glory of God requires that you and I be dependent daily on the Holy Spirit's direction and empowerment. Bible says that God has given us His Word. The psalmist writes, Psalm 119, verse 11, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
The word is described as that restraint that God has provided us to help us to know what is His will versus what is not His will. So that as we walk in His will, we experience the best of what His will has to offer us. But it's not enough for us to just simply say we're going to do better, we're going to try harder, we're going to work smarter. No, it is about saying, God, I want to walk in greater dependence on you. You've heard me say this before, I'll say it again. Being a Christian is not about you proving to God how worthy you are of that name Christian. You're not about, it's not about trying to prove to God that you deserve to be a child of God, or you deserve to be his follower. Being a Christian is by recognizing as you walk with him in, in, in deeper relationship that you're growing more dependent on him. Are you hear what I'm saying to you this morning? God is not raising believers who will see themselves as less and less dependent on God the longer we walk with Him. No, the idea is that the longer we walk with God, the more dependent we are on Him. That goes against what we know naturally. And rightfully so, because it's God and we are not like Him. Today we continue examining how we are to experience this transformative work that God wants to bring about in our lives. But I want us to focus today on how we master a part of our body that one translation of the Bible, interestingly enough, describes as a restless evil, full of deadly poison. I wonder what that is. What could be a part of your life and my life that, that, that the Bible could go so far as to describe as a restless evil, full of deadly poison? When I hear that phrase, I'm thinking, this is something I cannot trust. This is something I cannot just leave to fend for itself. I have to keep my eyes on this thing because by nature, it wants to do what is not good. That part of the body that Paul is referring to is the tongue. Everybody say the tongue. Now, of course, I'm not talking about that mass of flesh that's in your mouth, right? I'm not suggesting this morning that we don't need our tongue or that somehow God is saying that we just need to cut it off because it's, it's this evil, evil part of our body. No, what, what Paul is referring to, what Scripture is referring to is the, is, is the way we use our tongue. The consideration that the Bible brings, brings us to is, is how are we using our words to impact the, those whose, whose ears our words fall on? How are we using our words to impact others? Here's the thing, you don't have to live too long on the earth to know that the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. My opinion, it's a lie from the pit of hell. Because the reality is, sticks and stones, they do break bones. But can I tell you this? Words break bones just as well. We can use our words to hurt. We can use our words to destroy. We can use our words to tear down. Just as our words have the potential, the power to build up, to encourage, to strengthen. What should not be lost on any of us this morning, because I believe it isn't lost on God, and we see this expressed in His Word, is the reality that there is an incredible power that resides in the words you speak. God has made it so that when you speak, friends, when I speak, that our words have the potential to speak life into dead things. Now, of course, because of sin, we take the very thing that God created to you be used to speak life. And what sin does is it influences us to take the very thing God created us to use for His glory, for His purpose, and we use it to bring destruction. As I was preparing this message, I was reminded of a World War II documentary that I watched many years ago. And in this documentary, they were painting this stark contrast between two of, the, of, of, the, of, the, of that era's most influential characters. You're going to see their pictures on the screen in just a moment. The first one, Nazi Germany's Adolf Hitler. The other, Great Britain's Winston Churchill. When you focus on the impact of the speeches that these two men gave, 
you discover that it was both heartbreaking on one end, but inspiring on the other to see how powerful human words can be. For on one end, you have Adolf Hitler, who with words inflamed with hatred and lies, whipped his fellow countrymen into a frenzy to become what one historian describes, and I quote, a juggernaut of destruction, all because of one man's words. But then on the other end, you have Churchill, who armed with eloquent and measured words, lifted his nation from what another historian describes as the ashes of debris of, and of, as the ashes and debris of defeat to inspire a world to victory against an evil agenda. There is a reason why God in his infinite wisdom warns you and I in Proverbs 18 verse 21, and if you can note that scripture, go back and refer to it if you can, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And then it goes on to say in that same verse that those who some translations use the word indulge. Some translations use the word love. Some use the word cherish. But, but the Bible says that those who love, cherish, or indulge in the, the tongue, whether carelessly or carefully, must be ready to accept what it brings. You cannot expect that you will use your tongue to sow seeds of, 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 of evil, of wrong, and expect righteousness to come out of it. You cannot, and, and surely, and, and in the same way, we cannot expect that we would use our words to, to honor God, to speak words of righteousness and encouragement, and that, that, that evil will come out of it. The Bible says that, that because death and life are in the power of the tongue, how we use our words will determine what comes out of our words. Unfortunately, if we're not honest with ourselves this morning, many of us struggle with managing how we speak. No matter how hard it is to keep our lips in line, God has not dumped down, nor will he ever dump down the standard he has set for us. He invites us to take this instrument that, that the Bible describes as being potentially full of evil, restless, and to use it for his namesake. Too often we use the excuse, I, I didn't mean what I said. Or we use the excuse, I, I was just angry when I said what I said. Or I'm just human, what do you expect? We can use all these excuses all we want, but friends, God will never change his standard. He will never change the call that he has placed on our lives to use our words to build up rather than to tear down. And so, if we are to overcome the tendency to speak words that dishonor God or speak words that tear others down, friends, it has to start with each one of us intentionally committing that we will use our words to accomplish what God designed them to be used for. And this is what it was, what it was called to be used for, to extend grace to everyone who hears what we say. God's desire is that when we speak, and it's not only when we're speaking words of, of uh, support or affirmation, but even when we are bringing correction, even when we're bringing rebuke, it must always be laced with grace. Why? Because it is, it is grace that God uses to, to, to deal with we who are sinful. And here's, here's, the, here's the bottom line. You, you and I ought to be grateful that God responds to us with grace. Because the alternative would not, work, would not work out for us. If God was to deal with us as we deserve to be dealt with, friends, then grace would not be in the picture. God would deal with us as a just God should deal with us. And, and, and that is to punish, to, to separate us from himself, to cast us away. But God always extends grace to us. And in the same way God extends grace to us, now he invites you and I to make sure that in our interaction with others, 
that we are always extending grace to each other. And this is the point we're going to find James emphasizing the scripture we're about to read. Read with me this morning, James chapter 3, verse 2 to verse 12. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible Translation. James begins in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to rein in the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their whole body as well. Look at the ships. Though they are so large and they are driven by strong winds, they are nevertheless directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot determines. So also the tongue. Everybody say the tongue. The tongue, the Bible says, is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our body's parts as that which defiles the whole body. And sets on fire the course of our lives and is set on fire by hell itself. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one, everybody say no one. No one among mankind can tame the tongue because it is, as we referred to earlier, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our, our Lord and our Father, and then with it, we curse people who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these sins should not be this way because a spring cannot send out from the same water both fresh and bitter water from the same opening, excuse me, nor can a fig tree bear olives or a vine bear figs, nor can salt water produce fresh water. The question we want to ask in these next few minutes is this. How do we use our words to extend grace to others? That's the Bible's invitation to you and I. This is the habit that you and I are, in, are being encouraged in 2023 to embrace as an alternative to using our words to destroy or to tear down. And I'm going to be very quick this morning, but my prayer is that as, 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 as I share with you what the Lord has led, led, me, led me to share, that, that the Holy Spirit would, would impress upon your heart the need for you to not only be in a state of constant self-awareness, self-evaluation, but most importantly, that you and I would be in a state of constant submission. That every time we're reminded that, this is, that we are a work in progress in this area of what we say and how we use our words, that the Holy Spirit would remind us that there is grace at the cross and that we can come to Him and find forgiveness. But more important than just simply finding forgiveness, that what we need to overcome that struggle will be found in Him. The first point I want to share with you this morning is this. How we use our words to extend grace to others is by, first of all, not underestimating the power and impact that our words can have on others. James in verse 2 suggests that while everyone struggles in one or more areas in our lives, the most frequent failure that we all share is in how we use our words. In our own energy, we are incapable of taming our tongues. Why? Because the Bible says our tongue is destructive. Our tongue is corrupt. Our tongue is grossly inconsistent. And yet the Bible says that we must recognize that not only is the, is the tongue full of great potential to do good, it is also full of great potential to do wrong. And we must never, ever, ever get to a place where we think we've mastered our tongue. We must always be in a state of self-evaluation saying, God, help me, help me to use words, to speak words that bring grace. Again, even when we are bringing correction or rebuke. Notice that when Christ did so, he never did so in a way that was meant to demean or to, or to, or to regard people as, as less than what they were. He still gave people value. Even the Pharisees that he constantly butted, he still gave them value. 
He still ascribed value to these men, but he wanted them to know that they were not walking in truth. And for us, it's important to understand that in our own interactions with others, knowing that we all share in this struggle, that we must always come to terms with this idea that we do not have it in and of ourselves to police this tongue, and that we need the Lord's help to do so. That's the first thing we need to understand, and I believe that's foundational. But here's the second thing. Not only do we need to not underestimate the power and impact that our words can have on others and pay attention to that, but here's the other thing. I think this is probably the most important, and I feel like it's been a consistent theme, and you're going to notice it'll be a consistent theme throughout the course of this series, that our primary motive must be that we always use our words to glorify God. More than just asking, will my words help this person or make this person happy or make this person sad or will they hurt them or will they... The question has to be, God, will you be glorified in what I'm about to say? And sometimes, in, in asking that question, we're able to provide that necessary filter in determining whether what I want to say needs to be said, or it needs to be said a different way, or it needs to be said at a different time. But that the goal always is, God, I want to honor you. Notice again, in verse 11 and 12, James explains that just as a spring is meant to produce fresh water, not bitter water, just as a fig tree is meant to produce olives, is meant to produce figs and not olives, the tongue was also meant to be used for the purpose of blessing our Heavenly Father. James makes this assertion that, you know, that we do something that is very wrong, grossly inconsistent. We use the same mouth to praise the Lord. We speak of the goodness of God. We ascribe to Him all the glory and, and, and the adoration that He rightfully deserves. But they, yeah, we take those same words and we use it to, to hurt one another. And, and, and James says that yet cannot be for those who are in Christ. That, that's part of the distinction that the world needs to see. The difference that a relationship with Christ, the word, that, 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 that the world needs to witness is, is in how we use our words. And fortunately, we don't have to guess this morning that God's purpose for our words whenever we speak them must be directed at Him, at others, at ourselves, with the cause or goal of bringing Him glory. Naturally, when you and I focus on pleasing ourselves, when we focus on having our way, our words will always be self-directed. Our words will always be self-serving. Our words will always be about getting what we want. But when we always have it in the back of our minds that my words are meant to be used for God's glory, then we will be sure to, to, to make sure that our words are spoken in a way that honors Him. Not only do we need to prioritize glorifying God with our words, not only do we need to uh, take seriously the power that is in our words, but here's the last point this morning, we need to learn to speak truthfully and at the same time discern when it is most appropriate to speak. Years ago, I took students to a summer camp and we had a speaker that came that week and he, he spoke on different topics throughout the, throughout the week we were at camp. But on one particular day, he was speaking on the power of words, speaking to all of us, young people, all of us that were present, on the power of our words and what the Bible teaches about how we use our words. But he made a statement that day that I've never forgotten since. And, and, and it speaks to not only, again, as I said, the, the need to speak truthfully, but also the need to speak when it is appropriate to do so. Because... Let me tell you this, friends. God is a God of timing. God is a God of order. You know, there's sometimes when we look in Scripture and we wonder, well, God, why did you wait to say or to respond or to act in, in a particular situation? God knows what He's doing. And, and, and just as he, he applies order and He, has, and he has, applies His proper timing to things, He invites us to do the same. 
But this is a statement that this speaker made. Everything that is said must be true. But not everything that is true must be said. Think about that for a second. Everything that is said must be true. But not everything that is true has to be said. The fact is, just because something is true does not mean that it has to be said. It does not mean that it always even has to be said in that moment. And sometimes learning to be discerning and to say, God, do I need to say this? And God, do I need to say this right now? Can be all of the difference between a relationship being built up or being torn down. I want you to notice in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, the Apostle Paul makes a very, very, very brilliant suggestion. He suggests that there is an appropriate time for you and I to say something based on the need in the moment. And he instructs us that as is necessary, that when we speak, we must make sure that our words are spoken to bring grace, to edify, to build up, rather than to tear down. And so for us, when we find ourselves in a place where we are in a position to use our words, not only do we need to, again, keep in mind the power that is in the potential of our words to either build or to, or to break down, and not only are we to consider that our words be used to glorify God, but we must also ask ourselves, what I'm about to say, is it true? And even if it is true, is it appropriate? And that we learn to be dependent on the Holy Spirit so that we speak what He wants us to say. Friends, understand me this morning, when we talk about the Holy Spirit leading us, it sounds simplistic, but yet I want you to understand this morning that it is important that you and I learn to be dependent on the Holy Spirit for His direction. He is not only involved in the big details, He's involved in the simple details. And when you find yourself in a conversation, when you find yourself getting ready to say something or to, or to respond in a certain way with your words, consider, is this what God wants me to do right now? Is this, God, is this what God wants me to say right now? Because again, the goal, even in correction, is to edify. The goal, even in correction, is to build up. My prayer has been, as I've been studying this message and, and just asking the Lord to, to help us, to help me, is to say, God, there are many times where I fail, where you know, I speak and, and the, the words have barely fallen off my lips and I'm, I'm already regretting what I've said. And I wish I could take back what I've said. I wish I could, I, I, I wish I could go back in time and, and give myself another chance and to do something different, to do something better. Why? Because I realized that, that when I spoke, when I acted, that it was in the flesh. That, it, that I was focused on self. I was focused on what I wanted. And I, was, I didn't allow the Holy Spirit to, to check me, to, to caution me. There's a reason why James talks about the importance of being slow to speak, quick to listen. Because again, human nature is that we are quick to speak, we are slow to listen. That's human nature. But what God invites us to, a nature that only He can make possible in our lives, is that we learn to be slow to speak, slow to respond, slow to be quick to express our own feelings and our own, our, our own preferences. And to say, God, in this situation, how do you want me to respond? Every single time I find myself in a situation where I'm speaking with a brother or sister and they're telling me about something that may be going on, friends, I am praying. I am praying because I've learned, I've learned not to depend on what I think should be said or how I think I should respond. But I'm praying fervently, God, give me a word for this person right now because you know fully what this person is going through. God, you know fully what this person needs right now. And help me to speak a word that is timely, a word that will build up. And, if, and Lord, if it's a word that needs to bring correction, but it's a word that offers grace. 
And that's not just the responsibility of a pastor or a preacher. It is all of our responsibility. And it's not only what we are to do when we engage with fellow believers. It is what we are to do when we engage with every person. Because ultimately it is about aligning our lives, aligning our words, aligning our response, aligning our actions to do what? To glorify Him. And if what we're doing is not glorifying Him, friends, then it's not God's will for us. And we have to be willing to say, God, help me. I can't do this by myself. Again, consider what the Scripture says. This tongue of ours has the potential to create life, to bring death. What do you want your words to do in people's lives? Do you want to be the kind of person that when you speak, that people are edified, that they are built up, whether they know Christ or not, but that they know that when they can come to you, that, 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 that they, they believe that God, can, that God is speaking through you. Why? Because they know you know God, that you have a relationship with Christ. And, and, that, and that they're eager to, to engage you and that they're eager to, to, to share what's going on in their lives because they know that you're going to give them a sense of hope. Even if you're going to bring correction, but they know you're always going to bring a sense of hope and offer grace. That's what we must be about, friends. In this new year, my prayer is that every person that is represented here, and, 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 and this is the picture I want us to paint. I want, I want to paint for you this morning. I mean, look, look at the number of us here. And yet every one of us in here represents countless people that we interact with, that we converse with, that we engage with on any given day. And consider the potential of our words when we are willing to allow God to use our lips, to use our words, to use our expressions to glorify Him and to build up others. How many people's lives can be impacted? Imagine with me how many people's lives can be impacted for, for Christ's sake when we choose to use our words to build up, to glorify God, and to edify the hearer. What potential lies before us, friends? To allow God to help us to build this right habit of always speaking grace to everyone that hears it. And in speaking grace, that we're helping them to identify and to understand who Christ is. Because again, I point back to the grace that you and I received. It is a grace we receive so that you and I can extend the same to others. Don't, don't be ungrateful for the grace God has given you by withholding that from somebody else. Don't be so quick to to, to focus on what you want and what you prefer and what, what you think is best without first consulting your father and asking him, God, is this what you want me to do? Is this what you want me to say? And if it is, God, help me to do what you've asked me to do. That's my prayer for all of us today. That, that, that 2023 will be a year that is filled with us growing in this aspect of how we use our words and that we are committed to allowing God to be glorified in our words. I'll leave you with this quote and I'm going to pray. Your life as a Christian should be marked by words that build up rather than break. Every time, every time you find yourself ready to respond, I pray that, you, that those words, the Holy Spirit bring it to your remembrance, that as a believer, as a follower of Christ, your words are meant to be used to build up rather than to break down. And that that becomes a check in our spirit to caution us so that we do not speak words that dishonor the Lord. Amen? I want to invite you to bow your heads in prayer as we prepare to close. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your word. It reminds us today how important our words are. God, there is life in, in our words. And yet, Father, because of sin, Father, we're often reminded, Lord, how destructive our words can be. Not one of us here is innocent, Lord. I'm guilty, as guilty can be, God. 
But God, I'm grateful this morning that you don't simply come this morning to remind us of how bad we have it. You don't simply come to remind us, Lord, of how deep our struggle is. God, you come to remind us, Lord, today, God, of the grace that you extended to us, Lord, so that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we can do what we cannot do on our own. And that, God, that is to use our words to glorify you, use our words to build others up, to use our words to honor you. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are sitting under the sound of my voice. As I prayed, Father God, so many days this week, Father, leading up to this morning, that God, you would help us, Lord, to be people who use our words to bring grace to those who hear it. God, thank you for the grace you've extended to us. Help us, Lord, to extend the same to others. God, thank you that, Lord, in extending grace, Lord, you are not excusing the, the wrongs we do and not excusing the areas of our lives that need to change. But God, you extend grace, Lord, that we might, Father, have the opportunity to experience that transformation that only you can bring. So God, I pray every day, bring greater transformation to us, Lord. May our, our words be laced with grace, Father, so that God, when we speak, Father, it will edify the hearer. And Lord, for every encounter that you will give us, Lord, with someone who does not know Jesus Christ, God, I pray that our words, Father, will be timely. I pray that our words will be led by your Holy Spirit. I pray that our words, Father God, will point them to Christ. That God, they would see that Jesus indeed has made a difference in our lives. And that, Lord, they would draw near to Him as well. If there's anyone that is here today who would say, Pastor John, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I want a relationship today. The Bible says that it is our sin that keeps us from a relationship with God. We're all born into sin, friends. We inherit that inclination, that tendency to go our own way, to chart our own course, exclusive of God's involvement in our lives. In fact, we don't want God's involvement in our lives. That's what sin does. But the Bible says that in spite of our lack of a desire for God, in spite of our awareness of a need for God, the Bible says that God loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son. So that in giving his life for your sins and my sins, that Jesus would pay for our sins. He would address that, that which stands in the way of a relationship between us and God. So that you and I no longer, no longer have to rely on our own effort or our own abilities to live up to God's calling and standard. But now we can press in fully to Christ and understand that in a, through a relationship with Jesus, you and I can know God like we were meant to know him. I'm grateful for a relationship with Christ. I'm grateful that He's changed my life. But can I tell you this, friends? He is not finished with me. And His desire is to change your life today as well and to bring you to a relationship. And the way you do that is simply ask Him. Confess your sin. Confess that you're a sinner. Confess that, that, that it is your sin that keeps you from a relationship with God and that you want a relationship with God and that you're ready to renounce sin. You're ready to turn your back to a life of sin and to, and to live for God, to follow Him. To, to serve Him all the days of your life, not in your own strength or power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit that, that He will deposit in you upon your confession of faith in Christ. I want to pray for you this morning if you're here. And as I pray, I want to ask you to pray in your own words. Call on your Heavenly Father this morning and say, Father, forgive me. I recognize that I was created for a relationship with you and I want that today. I don't want to just know about you. I don't want to just hear about what you're doing in other people's lives, the change you're bringing about in other people's lives. God, I want to experience that change myself. And I invite you into my heart and life to be my Savior and Lord. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for the opportunity we have to 
acknowledge you, God. Acknowledge what you have done for us, Lord. The ultimate demonstration of your love in sending your son Jesus to die on the cross. God, I thank you for whomever that may be here today, God, who recognizes, Lord, that they don't have a relationship with you. They don't know you as they should, and yet they desire to know you today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing them to that place of recognizing the truth about sin, the truth about, about righteousness, and the invitation that you give us, Lord, to know you through uh, the saving knowledge of our, of, your sa of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that to whomever that may be who is calling on you in faith today, God, believe in, Lord, that you are able to forgive as you promised in your word. God, thank you that you respond to them, Lord, and that, God, you will forgive that the blood of Christ is applied over their sin, God. Lord, you will remember their sin no more. That, God, you will give them the right to become sons and daughters of God. And that, God, from this day forward, God, that they will live through the power of your Holy Spirit, a life that pleases you, a life that glorifies you. That, God, in the eyes of everyone else around them, Lord, that, God, they will witness a change, a transformation that is made brought about because they know you. God, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for giving us a second chance. Thank you for changing our lives. God, thank you for making us new. Thank you, Father, for those who are asking you for forgiveness and for bringing them into newness of life today. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen.